0: I think it's time for the USC offense to put some stress on that Oregon defense. You are locked on Trojans, your daily podcast on the USC Trojans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Fight on, everyone. I'm your host, Mark Holkin, and thank you for making Locked On USC your first listen every day. Whether you're going to watch the show on YouTube or wherever you're going to download it, it's free. I appreciate your support. I cannot tell you that enough. You can show your appreciation. It's quick, it's easy, it's free. If you're watching on YouTube, become a subscriber. Click that red subscribe button, hit that thumbs up. Both of those interactions mean a lot to the show. And I don't want you to miss one episode. Click that bell notification and you're locked on. You won't miss one. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com forward slash locked on college. And use code Locked on College for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars Daily Fantasy Sports made easy. But I don't think there's too many people outside of the Trojans locker room um, who are giving the team much of a chance this weekend up at Oregon. And the odds have made the ducks what a two touchdown favorite. Gone over that this week already. I mean, even I'm on the on the wrong side of the fence that I hate being on. Um, I do think USC has a chance, just based on the way they've been playing, not a good chance. (laughs) And here's why. Here's why I'm kind of standing on the other side of the fence than I'm normally standing on. USC has lost three out of their last four games. And look, the last loss they had at home against Washington, where they gave up 52 points, cost them their defensive coordinator. and. You know, it might have cost them a little bit of credibility. I think that fear factor is has been erased completely, even with their offense. With that said, I think now's the time for USC's offense to make another team's defense look foolish. USC has been been uh, driving that car on the defense side of the ball all season long. I'd like to I'd like to see USC's defense ride shotgun for this game. Let Oregon's defense look the fool. Let them drive all over the place trying to figure things out. I, I don't want to say that this is USC's bowl game. It's not. But I, I think Coach Riley, Caleb Williams, and the offense, uh, it needs to have one of those brilliant offensive games where everything they do just goes right. Almost perfect. I, I, look, I'm not talking like 55 to 19 not that Realm, not the USC versus Oklahoma type of thing. Although, that would be fun. Don't get me wrong. I mean where the offense just plays their game and stresses out Dan Lanning's team. And when I say that USC's offense is playing up to their abilities, scoring points on every drive, they're doing it because that's what they're supposed to do, not because they're trying to help out their own defense. Uh, that symbiotic relationship—it's flourishing, so you're not going to see any separation from that, regardless. But I would love just to see USC's offense score points and not say we're doing this because we got to help out our defense that's giving up points every other drive to the opponent. Uh, you know, look against Utah, what I think many consider the, probably the best defense in the conference, and I know they've been dealing with a lot of injuries. USC's offense. Did what it wanted for the most part, mostly. I mean, it was what 17-7 after the first quarter. Running the ball like hot knife through butter. Then I mean, something happened. Stopped running the ball. You had, you know, against Cal, who typically puts up a pretty decent defense. You had to score 50 points just to win by one. USC had, what, five turnovers on offense against Notre Dame? I'm sure the offense would have performed a lot better without those five turnovers. Heavy sigh. Speaking of turnovers, did you know that USC's offense has had at least one turnover in seven straight games? That type of offensive stat does not stress anyone out other than Trojan fans. And maybe Lincoln-Riley. This would be a, probably a good week to start a new streak. Don't fumble the ball. Don't throw an interception. And let's not wait for the big play. Make the Oregon defenders play in scramble mode. So what I'm talking about. Stressing them out. Use the same... If I'm Lincoln-Riley, this is my game plan. I'm going to use the same up-tempo play calling on second and third downs that you use on first downs or when you convert into a first down. You ever notice that when USC's on offense? When they're on first down, boom, they're at the line. They're ready to call a play. They go. Second, third down, that's when you kind of see the, you know, Caleb Williams looking over the sideline, clapping, looking over the sideline. Oh, all right, let's substitute. Caleb, the USC offense, These, this should be the group that's dictating tempo and forcing the defense to kind of adjust, right? Oregon's head coach, Dane Lanney, he talked about the Trojans on offense earlier in the week. He said, I don't think we've seen an offense quite like this offense. It's really unique. Obviously, the closest would be Washington in some ways. With the explosive passes, the quarterback can make every single throw. They've got great weapons. They, they're strong in the offensive front with their O-line. they They've got a really, really good running back. Marshawn Lloyd is running the ball really, really well. Seems like they get into positive plays really easily. And the shot, the shot game is always there. I mean, Caleb Williams extends plays and holds on to the ball longer than anybody in college football. And, the, and he can make every throw. So that's dangerous if you're not able to get him down on the ground and not able to cover him for a long time. So they present a lot of challenges. I mean, they use the tight end in the passing game. They run the ball well. They're a scheme team. And they do what they do really well. But they're going to bring new wrinkles into each game. So you got to be prepared. You have to be prepared for. And they're one of the harder opponents to prepare for. End quote. Here's how you make it hard for Oregon's defense. Get the play call in. Make the read. Limit the substitution packages. Don't let Oregon make – don't let them take their time doing that, you know, that whole gratuitous delay of the game type of thing when they sub after you do. You ever notice how slow the opponent trots in and off the field? It's on purpose. When On offense, when when USC allows the play clock to get inside five seconds, which they do regularly – It gives the the defense, the opponent's defense, the advantage. It gives them the time to, you know, all right, five, four, three, snap the ball. That microsecond, that makes a difference. That get off. They know the next time they see Caleb go into clap mode, the ball's coming. Opposing coaches, you know, they always talk up their opponent's strengths and weaknesses, right? We hear from Lincoln Riley, hear from every head coach. It's called coach speak. One of the Trojan strengths on offense is that wide receiver. and, And Coach Lanning, you know, he talked about that as well. He thinks they're great. I think they're probably different than anyone we've played so far this year because of the amount of players that they play. They have a lot of quality players that can play a lot of different positions and they utilize their personnel well. They have tremendous speed in the slot. I think it's also unique how they move their wideouts around. You'll see them line up in the backfield. They'll line up in the C area. Zachariah Branch is an elite returner, and that shows up. But they've got a lot of talent really across the board when it comes to wideout, end quote. So if the guys on the field can line up in one formation, use those same dudes the way Coach Lanning was just describing sometimes I kind of get the impression that I, I I think coach Riley is trying to outthink what the opponent's defense is lining up to do. Stop doing that. He should coach Riley should always come from where he, he should always adjust. If he sees where he can audible or shift into a mismatch, by all means do it, but stop taking so long. If the run game is working, stay with it until they're stopping it consistently. If the passing game is what's moving the chains, keep doing what's working. But there's times where I think you're you're trying to be balanced for the sake of being balanced. If that happens organically, great. But don't force the issue. Again, if Notre Dame was Caleb's worst game, let's hope that his game against Oregon is his best performance ever at least until he plays UCLA next week. We spend a lot of time talking together, you and I, and we get fired up together on wins and losses. Who starts? Who sits? I'm thankful for that connection that we have. I really am. And today I want our chat to be a little bit more personal. I just learned that you can get a one-year supply on ED medications. ED medications. You realize what that means, right, gentlemen? Bring on extended travel, bring on that next natural disaster or supply chain issue. You are covered. My friend, you don't have to worry about whether or not you can refill your generics for Cialis, Viagra, or Rivachio. Those prescriptions are going to be available for you. And this is possible because of our friends at Jace Medical. Go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12 month supply on your daily medication. Remember to use code LOCKEDON at checkout for a discount as well. A verified customer had this to say about Jace. I'm thankful for the service supply chain issues caused me to cut pills in half just to have it. I ordered most of my daily beds on a year supply. I also ordered my antibiotic kit. I feel secure now. Prices are lower than local pharmacies I highly recommend this for everyone. If you or someone you love would get some peace of mind by having a year supply of any daily medication, go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered for you. Remember to use promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your purchase. The college football season is here, and this season, Locked On is kicking up our coverage. Each Friday, Lockdown will go live from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on every Lockdown College YouTube channel. Lockdown College Football Live will cover the college football playoff applications, the conference rivalry games, and they're going to go in-depth like only Lockdown can, including insight and analysis from our stable Lockdown College hosts covering their team every day. You can find Lockdown College Football Live every Friday from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on any Locked On College YouTube channel, you're not going to want to miss it. Question. Viewers, listeners, hit me up in the comments section. Let me know. What do you think? Is USC cursed or is it just, or are they just really bad at selecting assistant coaches? Not all assistant coaches. We're going to focus on one particular side of the ball. The other day, my buddy, Brandon, He asked me if USC was cursed. And I was like, what? I don't get the question. Give me something specific, something tangible to kind of gravitate towards, something to bite on, something to nibble on. He he couldn't put his fingers on it. He just said, it just doesn't feel like USC ever gets, ever, ever, never has the the momentum behind them. And I started thinking about it. Assistant coaches who were at USC. Remember T. Martin? By the time he left USC, his gumbo offense was spoiled, just unappetizing. But T. Martin was you know, he he was kept around probably a little bit longer than he should have been, uh, because he was really good at recruiting. You know, you always heard recruits talking about T. Martin as one of the reasons why they chose USC. In fact, uh, he He knew that his offense wasn't getting the job done, and he was even willing to to take a job to motion just to stay in l a. That was some of the stuff that was talked about behind the scenes. And maybe that's part of the issue. When you get to l a, people just become soft, more relaxed. You know the the whole California vibe thing, dude, kick back. chill. Take it slow. There's a lot of truth to that in Southern California. So I'm not sure if it's a curse or if it's just poor evaluations by USC head coaches. I will say this. I think it's been a while since the Trojans have put a really good defensive product on the field, at least something that Trojan fans can puff out their chest and appreciate. Talk about, feel good talking about. The other day, the Pac-12 published some statistics. You ready for this? Are you sitting down? I hope so, (laughs) because these numbers are mind-numbing. I mean, embarrassing bad. Since the Colorado game, USC has allowed 44.2 points per game. I don't know why I throw these decimals in there, but it makes a difference right now. Only South Florida has allowed more points during that time frame. They've given up 44.4 points per game during that time span. And here's the difference between USC and South Florida. The Bulls have had games where they've given up 56, 56, and 59 points during that time span. USC's defense hasn't been quite that bad. They've given up up only 52 one time to Washington. They've given up 49 not sure what they're going to give up this weekend but let me let me continue USC has also allowed at least 500 yards in 4 of its last 6 games and at least 475 yards in its last 5 Pac-12 games ouch oh here's another nice stat USC has allowed 60 runs of at least 10 yards i think i went over that on a show earlier this week that's the most in the Pac-12 and the second most in the country. Only the University of Central Florida has allowed more. So these directional things: <laughs> University of South Florida, University of Southern California, University of Central Florida. Oh, there's a coincidence here. Oh, there's another thing. USC is allowing 44.4% of third downs to be converted over its past six games. I think Oregon is converting seven out of every 10 third down conversions. Okay, and USC is just five and sixteen against ranked opponents on the road in the Pac-12 era. Okay, however, the Trojans are three and three on the road against AP top ten teams since 2011. Dissect that any way you want. I guess they're saying USC has a chance to win on the road because Oregon's in the top ten. I'm looking at that other stat. In the Pac-12 era, USC is just five and sixteen against ranked opponents on the road. So how much of this goes back to the sanctions that got that USC got hammered with? How much of an effect did that have? How much of it has to do with USC's head coaches and the defensive coordinators that they've hired? Let's go back to Lane Kiffen. Okay. He brought his dad, Monty Kiffin. That Tampa 2, cover 2, that whole system that everyone hated. I think everyone would probably like to have it right now. Steve Sarkeesian. He had Clancy Pendergast. He let him go, and he brought in Justin Wilcox. I know not everybody was a huge fan of Clancy, but he had decent defenses when he was at USC. Both times. Sark probably should have kept Clancy around. Clay Helton. He had, he had Clancy, and he made him his scapegoat after USC's worst bowl loss. Was it 2019? Yeah, Remember that holiday bowl? It was ugly. After Clancy Pendergast, Clay Helton hired Todd Orlando. In case you are wondering, Todd Orlando is the University of South Florida's defensive coordinator right now. The only other team with the worst defense over the last six games. And we know that Lincoln Riley just fired Alex Grinch. How does USC end up with two of the worst (laughs) defensive coordinators in a row? I mean, the odds on that happening have to be staggering. So either USC is cursed, like Brandon thought, or thanks, or it's poor coaching staff evaluations. I'm leaning towards the latter. And because head coaches can't fire themselves, I do think they should probably be graded on their assistants. And they do. They get graded that way. After this season comes to an end, mercifully, I think everyone should anticipate a coaching overhaul, at least on the defensive side of the ball. We've talked about this a little bit already. The new defensive coordinator is going to want to bring in some guys that he feels comfortable with. Obviously, Lincoln Riley is going to have to sign off on it. But uh, if Lincoln Riley is going to go get one of the top-notch elite DCs out there, he's going to have to allow the defensive coordinator to form his own side of the ball staff. So, where are some of the guys like Dante Williams, Roy Manning, Brian Odom, Sean Nua, Taylor Mays to a lesser extent, where they go from here will tell a lot about their prospects. Now, what, am I, what do I mean by that? Does the new defensive coordinator want to keep any of them around? Will Lincoln Riley demand that one or two or three or two? Stay around. For instance, I, I brought up T Martin earlier. Dante Williams, he's known he, he is known as a great recruiter, right? That's one of his strengths. As a position coach, though, do you don't you want to be known more for developing talent? Being a great recruiter is part of it. But if you're going to bring in great talent, don't you want to see that talent develop and become better? Ask yourself that question about the cornerbacks these last couple of years, last few years. Since Dante's been on staff, I'm not pointing a finger. I'm saying this is what the new defensive coordinator is going to be looking at. And let's say he doesn't want to keep Dante around. Let's see where he ends up. Does he go to a similar high-profile program or does he step down? Does he become a defensive coordinator somewhere? We'll find out. I mean, look, USC has good players. Some They've got, according to their recruiting rankings. This is why I don't focus on those star rankings so much. It's the development part that people are starting to question right now. So, again, I don't think USC is cursed. I just think they need to spend more time Uh, maybe, maybe not more time but do a better job of making sure that the coaches match the culture in the locker room and actually are more than just good recruiters because if you bring the guys in that's great what happens after they've been here for a year or two or three Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers, instead of battling thousands of other players, including the pros and the sharks. Just you. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and then kind of watch your account and all the win- winnings roll on in. Prize Picks is a skill-based, real money daily fantasy sports game. And they offer you projections on any sport that you want to watch, college football, college basketball, NBA, NHL, NFL, all of it. You're going to pick two to six players. And if they will go more or less than their prize picks projections, you can actually win up to 25 times your money on any entry as well. Prize picks entries, you can do this in less than a minute. It's that easy. Let me give you a few examples of what you might want to look for. Caleb Williams will have more than or less than three p- passing touchdowns against Oregon. Oregon will have less than or more than 200 rushing yards against USC's defense. USC's defense will have more than one Bo Nix interception. PricePix offers a recently improved deposit and withdrawal experience. If you like using your Apple Pay on your phone, you're in luck. You can use that. You've got security. Go to pricepix.com forward slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to pricepicks.com forward slash locked on college, use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. I'm not sure if it was done intentionally, and I really don't think this was, that was I don't think this was the purpose behind it. However, uh, draft eligible underclassmen, uh, they can now be invited to the postseason NFL Scout All-Star Combine Games. You know what I'm talking about? Well, if you're not sure, I'll tell you right now. The NFL informed teams on Wednesday that it will be allowing college underclassmen who are draft eligible participate in postseason All-Star games, according to the NFL Network's Tom Pellicero. And this change is actually going to take effect immediately for the 2024 NFL Draft class. This change means the East-West Shrine Bowl, the Historically Black College University Legacy Bowl, and the Reese's Senior Bowl may now bring in underclassmen who are granted a special eligibility to play. And this, they make it clear, this change only applies to these three all-star games. <coughs> Which means in the future, more will be extended. Quote, upon the NFL publicly announcing that a player has been granted special eligibility, the East-West Shrine Bowl, the HBCU Legacy Bowl, and the Senior Bowl may invite such players to participate in, the, in their respective game activities. Only these three games are permitted to invite underclassmen to participate, the, mem- uh, the memo to team said in part. Cool. If a player knows that he's going pro, go get some NFL coaching and show what you can do. Use that platform. But what if you're one of these underclassmen who decides to use this platform instead of, a lower tiered bowl game. That's where I was going with this in the beginning. Players not playing in a postseason bowl game has become common occurrence. Last handful of years, uh, you know, guys who are going to the draft are like, I'm not going to risk playing another game. Why should I? Um, I'm going to forego the the bowl game. I'm going to go get ready for the NFL combine and the draft. I mean, last year USC um, Jordan Addison he passed up the Cotton Bowl so we can focus on the NFL draft. He knew he wasn't he was forecasted to be a first round draft pick. So, will underclassmen are they going to want to do both? Are they going to want to play in a bowl game and head on over to the East West Shrine Game or the the Senior Bowl or the Legacy Bowl? I don't know. I mean, with the with the college game moving to the twelve team playoffs next season in 2024, is this just another step in the wrong direction? I mean, right now, players and teams that don't make the playoffs, they kind of look at other bowl games as like eh, whatever. So is it not a big deal or is this gonna correct itself? We don't know yet because this actually hasn't happened. I guess we'll get our first sampling uh, coming up here shortly. Regular season's almost over. Man. If you're Caleb Williams or a Marvin Harrison Jr., you don't need either platform to prove you belong <laughs> at the top of the draft board. I'm not talking about players like that. But what if you're a player like Caleb Bullock? Why do I bring him up? marginal first round talent. You know, he he needs to prove it in front of the scouts. Does he? Does he get an invite? Does he even get an invite to these to one of these games? Should that be the benchmark? If you don't get an invite as an underclassman to one of these three games, I'm thinking maybe you should probably stay in school for another year. Right? A lot of guys, you know, test the market, send out feelers to see what kind of feedback, what kind of grade that comes back before they declare for the draft. You've got that cutoff date. Maybe this should be the benchmark. If you're an underclassman and you're considering going to the NFL early, if one of these three all star games that's just loaded with GMs, NFL GMs, and scouts and coaches, If they're not sending you an invite, that's probably a good indication that you're you're probably not that high on their draft board. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll see. I'm just wondering what kind of effect this is going to have on the lower bowl games going forward. Maybe it won't have any effect at all. I don't know. But it's out there. And it just seems like every time something happens with the college game, Feels less and less like the college game. Feels more professional. And I've said in the past, there's nothing wrong with change. It's neither good or bad. It's what you do with it. NIL has come along. They're still trying to figure out how to use it, what kind of guardrails to put in place. We'll see what happens over these next handful of years. Next year is going to be a great, a great new litmus test to see uh, how things have changed. 12 team playoffs. They always said, no, never going to go that far. They couldn't wait to get there, especially once these super conferences started to form. So we are still, I think, in my opinion, in the the infancy stage of the change that's going on through college football. You've got the mega conferences, super conferences, whatever you want to call them. 12-team playoffs, all this is coming to a head. You've got NIL. I mean, the perfect storm is forming. We're going to see what happens going forward. But until then, you know what to do. When you're not making Locked on USC your first listen every day, well, after you make Locked on USC your first listen every day, head on over to wearesc.com. Got a lot of good written content. And then when you're done with that, come on back here. Check it out. I'll be back with another episode tomorrow. That's what we do. But until then, everyone, you know it.